The Old Testament reading for this second Sunday after Epiphany is in Isaiah chapter 42, beginning the first verse. The servant of the Lord. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not stuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. This is what the God this is what God the Lord says. He who stretched who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Here ends the Old Testament. The epistle reading is from Romans chapter 1, beginning verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. God's wrath against mankind. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish and their foolish hearts were darkened. Here ends the epistle. We stand in honor of the Holy Gospel. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. 
Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Here ends the Holy Gospel. Almost like the beginning, but when you run into me, stop. Don't go beyond me. Very good. Okay. You're going to follow me up front, okay? Is that all right? You're going to follow me, not get ahead of me. Okay, ready? Boy, he's going slow. Why'd I stop? You don't know. Wait a minute. Am I going the right way? Are you still following me? I wonder how long this will go on. Okay, this is where we stop. But you knew that already. Yeah, I can't pull anything on you guys. You were following me, right? Yeah, you were. What's that guy over there called? He has a fancy title. Anybody know? Acolyte. That means one who not just follows, but joyfully follows. How's that? Mm. Would a couple of you like to joy, joyfully follow me just a little bit? <sighs> Guess that ends that. Nobody wants to joyfully follow me? Or does it depend where I'm going? Yeah, it might. We heard the simple story in Matthew about Jesus coming to fishermen. I'm going to tell a little bit of, more about it in a minute. But the reason we know from Luke's account why they joyfully followed him wasn't just that he said, follow me. He also showed that he was an expert fisherman, so much so that they got so many fish that two boats almost sunk. They were so full of fish. Maybe they decided to follow Jesus because he was such a joyful fisherman. Anybody want to follow me now? Okay, then watch. No, not my skirt. Following Jesus should not just be a chore, but it should also be joyful. And I hope I can still do this, because I'm getting old. Ready? Yay! Oh. Yeah. Am I out of breath? The disciples followed Jesus. Things changed. He always took care of them. They saw wonderful things. People raised from the dead. People who were sick getting well. 
They saw him when he was transfigured and his face shone like the sun. But at a certain point, Jesus started going somewhere that none of them liked. Is there anything up front here which reminds us where he went that none of them liked? They tried to talk him out of it. Anything here at all? Oh, cross. The minute he starts saying, I'm going to the cross, they're going to do terrible things to me, I'm going to suffer and die. And the more he talked about that, some of them didn't like it. The 12 stuck with him, but many other people said, that's not happy anymore. I don't like following this if it's regarding suffering and dying for him. Why does Jesus go to the cross? It's actually good. He suffers and dies there to do what for you? Take away our sins. Give us resurrection and eternal life. That's really why we joyfully follow him, even through things that are hard. Okay, you have my permission if you want to, and if you are coordinated enough that you may go back to your seats like that. Or does that embarrass you? Whatever. You may go back. No takers. There they go. Sanctify them by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Our text isn't just the simple account in Matthew 4 of the calling of the disciples. If it was merely that, we'd still be scratching our heads asking, how did that work? Was it mind control? Did he say something else? Well, yes, there was something else. Thankfully, we have in the Gospels, the four of them, different accounts of the same event. In Luke chapter 5, for example, we're told how the disciples actually came to follow him. They were indeed fishermen. They'd been working all night. They were now washing and mending nets. The thing was, all night, as professionals, they didn't catch anything. It's not just that they'll go hungry, but there's no income working that way. Jesus then comes up to Peter and is a real pest. He says, cast out into the deep and let down your nets. Peter says, Master, we, the professionals, have toiled all night long and we caught nothing. To go all the way out again and to come back is a lot of monkey business if it's for no purpose. Besides, by now it's the wrong time of the day. They knew it. What's this Jesus know? He's a carpenter. He's a rabbi. What does he know about fishing? And yet Peter says, yet at your word I will let down the nets. And the word in Greek really doesn't mean casting nets, which is what they normally would do, like you really intended to catch fish. They got the nets all cleaned and mended, and they just basically dump them over the side. That shouldn't have caught anything. 
You don't just dump nets and expect something to happen. Yet they do it, and it says they enclosed a great, literally, shoal of fish, or a whole school of fish, we would say, so much that the nets started breaking. Now, at this point, you're bringing in the other two partners in the fishing business. They bring their boat alongside, too, and begin filling up both boats full of fish. I never really appreciated this much coming from Iowa, but coming out here to Michigan, I learned stories about people who would be out on a lake or the big lake, and the water maybe started coming in a little too much so that the distance between the water and the top, the top of the boat, there's a better word for that. Yeah, deck, whatever. It's getting so close that both boats are about to the point of sinking because they're so full of fish. Now, if you're Jewish enough, you'd probably start laughing because this is Jewish humor. Fishing boats sunk by fish. That would have been the headline. But yet they don't sink. The nets don't break. They bring in all of this fish. Simon Peter sees it, falls down at Jesus' feet, at his knees. What Peter recognizes is what's most significant and really why all of them start following him. He's not just some guy that knows how to fish. He's not some rabbi, some carpenter. Peter recognizes from this who he, Peter, truly is. Get away from me, he says, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now that doesn't sound like the beginning of following somebody. It sounds like he wouldn't think about following Jesus because he's not good enough. Well, none of us here today is good enough to be following Jesus, yet the beginning point for discipleship is here with the recognition that Jesus really shouldn't even come near me at all. There's nothing about me in thought, word, deed where he should be the least bit interested or why he should love or care for me. Yet he does. And Peter says, I'm a sinful man. That doesn't mean he just sins once in a while, but he's a deeply sinful man. We don't know exactly what that meant in Peter's life. We know catching fish and gutting fish and dealing with fish and smelling like fish and going home at night to his wife smelling like a fish, that certainly wasn't Jewish purity and cleanliness. There must have been more to it. But he recognizes there should be a separation between Jesus and himself. Jesus, just go away. I'm no damned good, if I put it more in our language. Get away from me. What happens anyway? Normally you don't speak in such strong terms to a rabbi that way. Instead, Jesus says to Simon, stop being afraid. Literally, stop having this fear, this terror of me as though I'm so holy and you're so sinful. Stop being afraid. From now on, you will be catching men and women 
The term in Greek means human beings. You're going to be catching people for God. They bring the boats ashore. Some of you may have been wondering, what about Zebedee? Did any of you wonder that question? Andrew, Peter, James, and John, everybody leaves old father Zebedee in one of the boats. Does that sound like keeping the fourth commandment? No. Except the other gospel accounts tell us that Zebedee was there with the other hired workers. So it's not as though Zebedee's left high and dry. But Andrew, Peter, James, and John, by God's doing, by Jesus drawing close to them, is now calling them so they joyfully give up the old way of life. I'll point to that banner quite often this year. Leaving behind the old way of life is one way to describe repentance. It's not just that we recognize that we are sinful and that God should leave us alone, but his love toward us is what draws us to him. But that leaving the past behind, striking out on things where you're not in control, is a way of describing repentance. Part of our problem is, with our current way of life, is that we're in charge, right? What are you going to do after church today? Do you know? Of course. You're going to go out to eat or go home to eat or go visit somebody, right? You got your week planned, pretty much? Uh-oh, some of you don't. But generally speaking, you do. And there's a comfort in having everything in your hands. It's under your control. But when things happen that have never done or happened like that before, then you get to be a bit scared. Our old sinful nature likes the security of being in charge of everything. And when it doesn't work that way, we become fearful. That's part of what Peter's difficulty was. Now, discipleship has to do with faith. Following Jesus is not something that you have planned out. It's all up in the air. If you think back to your confirmation day, the question basically was asked, will you continue to be following Jesus even till death and never fall away? Talking about life that way is a bit scary. But again, it depends on faith in Christ, not on you, as though you're in charge. From this point on, the old way of life is basically gone. They keep the fish, yes. They even keep the boats for transportation. But where they go and why they go is no longer in their hands. Now they have to trust in Christ Jesus. Do you really? A little further along in Luke, there's some other people that say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I'm all excited about following you. And in Luke chapter 9, one guy says, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. 
And Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And if you follow me, you're not going to have a place to rest either that you're aware of. How does that set with you? Where's your home and security? It's in God's hands, not yours. One guy comes up and says, I will follow you, but let me first bury my father. Then I'll follow you. Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead, but as for you, come follow me. He deals not in matters of death, but in matters of leaving old things behind. He deals in matters of life. I point that out because this is Lutherans for Life Sunday. And our reason for following isn't merely for life for ourselves, but also for those around us who are unprotected, who have no one watching out for them in this world. There's murder taking place all around us, all happily and joyfully done in the name of a Supreme Court's solution. But it's murder, whether it be infants yet unborn or the attempts at getting rid of old people who aren't valuable anymore and just use up materiel. Our discipleship deals with life, not death. Another guy simply says, I will follow you, but let me first go back and say goodbye to my family. But Jesus said, anyone who starts to plow, who puts his hand on the plow, and then turns back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. Discipleship involves no turning back. Not even for something as simple as saying goodbye to family. Because in doing that, what's more important? Not Jesus, but family. This discipleship business, this following business, you see, is not so easy. What could possibly keep you going? And again, as I told the kids, from the transfiguration onward to Good Friday, Jesus would talk more and more about that horrid, terrible cross. And anyone in the ancient world understood that if you got too close to a guy who is going to the cross, they could just as easily say that you're guilty as him, that you too should be crucified. If he's going the way of the cross, maybe you will too. So why follow Jesus? Because going through all of these different things will not be the end. He will bring you through them. But in following him all the way, where will you end up? Don't look in this world. Christianity is not going to make you rich and happy and famous and healthy. Where do you end up? You end up dying for Christ in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection unto eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the words of the old burial rite from ancient times. We're not looking merely to the short term, but beyond death into life eternal. 
heaven and even beyond that into the new creation. That ultimately is why we joyfully follow. Jesus is leading us through the valley of the shadow of death into life everlasting. And again, we walk by faith. Amen. And the peace of God that passes understanding will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.